0: All righty, everybody, welcome in and welcome back to another episode of the Frogs of War podcast where we're here to talk all things frogs. I'm your host, Ryan Vanellen, alongside me is my co-host, Anthony North. We are your managing editors over at Frogs of War, and we're here back for the second installment of the uh, reestablished Frogs of War podcast, back coming at you with a weekly episode. We're going to try and pump these out every week going forward, um, but you know we'll see what where things take us. Again, also want to address before we really get into anything. Uh, apologies for any technical issues that might pop up or any audio. We're we're still new to the podcasting game. Anthony, myself together, we're getting the chemistry down. We're getting some of the connection, the microphones, the audio, all that. So uh, bear with us as we figure out the details. But we're churning through it. We're here. We're just here to talk sports. We're here to talk frogs. Have a good time. So today, that's exactly what we're going to do. We got a Big Twelve tournament recap in baseball, and of course. Now uh, the Frogs were slotted as a two-seed in the NCAA tournament. Well, for the regionals, I mean. Uh, and we'll be covering that as well. And then now, some basketball news and some way-too-early starting five conversations. It's going to be a good time. But uh, first, we do have to address some rather unfortunate news in uh, the Horn Frog community. And that is former TCU cornerback, All-American, and first-round NFL j- draft pick, Jeff Gladney, unfortunately, passed away in a car accident this morning. Uh, in Dallas. He had most recently signed a two-year contract with the Arizona Cardinals and was fighting for a starting spot and it really looked like it was going his way. Uh, he had some off-field issues towards the beginning of his NFL career but he he really bounced back uh, and he he looked like he was doing all the right things trying to make his way back into the league and so just wanted to say thoughts and prayers go out to the Gladney family of course and anybody close to Jeff um, and just I mean, it's hard to get words for something like this, you know. But I think Anthony and I can speak for Horn Frog fans when we say, you know, we're all going to remember the name Jeff Gladney always, forever. I mean, he was a legend in the Horn Frog uniform, one of the best defenders to ever don the purple and white. And it's just, it's just so sad to see it.
1: Yeah, devastating news to to see uh, this afternoon and, and hear about. And as kind of the news started spreading and seeing people's reactions on social media and all of the, the different media contacts and, and former teammates and current teammates and, and all his friends and family, uh, you know, just an outpouring of, of love and, and sadness at at, uh, such a unfortunate situation for such a young man. I mean, just 25 years old, really just, um, restarting his NFL career with um and and certainly had a bright future ahead. It has a young family, uh young children. Um so yeah just all the all the thoughts and prayers for for him and and um, all of his family.
0: Yeah for sure. He during his time at TCU he was like I said just one of the best defenders we've ever seen. 43 pass breakups, five interceptions and Although those stats may not jump off the paper at you, it, he nobody threw to Gladney. I mean, it was Gladney Island was a thing for a reason. You know, Gladney truly had that island, uh, almost like a college version of Revis Island back when uh, back when he was in the frogs' uniform. So, well, overall, Anthony, what would you say is your number one Gladney memory from his time as a Horn Frog?
1: Yeah, I, th- I think it's it's tough. Like you said, he uh, fully shut down a side of the fields. To where opposing teams would just decide to not throw in his direction. So, yeah, you don't you don't have so many of those, you know, big gaudy stat games. My, I, I think maybe my personal favorite is um, in 2019 at Purdue, um, where going into that game, uh, Purdue with Rondale Moore and David Bell, Purdue fans were were talking big big smack. Um, about how Rondell Moore was the best receiver that TCU had ever played, which was, was pretty ignorant considering that the teams that TCU had played against and and shut down. Mm-hmm. But but yeah, Purdue fans were, were feeling quite big um, going into that season and going into that game, and the TCU defense completely dominated them. Um, I think probably the – the most memorable play in that game is the Trevin Morig, uh, where he steals the ball from Rondale Moore uh, for an interception, but Gladney also had an interception in that game. Also um, had an additional pass breakup in that game. And he, you know, um, so that was a, that was just one of those total domination of the the entirety of the TCU defense, but a, a led by Gladney, shutting down um, that squad. It, it, that season also featured the Cheez It Bowl, where he had an interception and one of the most fun, silly games that's ever <laughs> happened. And like you know, he contributed games. one of the yeah one of the yeah what in fifty uh, turnovers in that game. Yeah. Um, then also the the big win against a ranked Texas team where he had he had eight tackles, three pass breakups, and and um, although uh, I think that team was Devin Duvernay um, it got kind of got loose on a couple plays, but but Gladney was there shutting them down, and and that was a, another big win on an otherwise kind of lackluster season uh, for for the frogs, but but great for for Gladney.
0: Yeah, it's it's hard to pick uh, like a particular memory because he just did he made so many great plays for the frogs. But uh, I think if I had to go with one in particular, it would be a road game in Lubbock, Texas Tech. Uh, I actually traveled for this game, so I saw this when the Red Raiders were in the red zone. Uh, Gladney just I, I forget what the route was like a little crack route out to the side, like a little drag route, and. As the receiver's about to grab it, he's looking for the end zone already. He's turning. Nope, Gladney's right there. Just, boom, ball hocks it, comes right in front of him, snags it, rips it out, takes it 93 yards to the house, just absolutely, I don't even know, just disinhearts all of the fans in uh, in Lubbock. So that was just a crazy play and probably my favorite. There's another big one I can think of off the top of my head. I forget what year it was. We played Iowa State at home. It was 24-21. A fourth down and he had a pass breakup to win the game uh so i forget exactly what year and who was who else was playing on the field but i mean that's what won us the game was that gladney play so just countless plays to choose from but i think that 93 yard pick six was just kind of like a defining play for the type of player gladney was you know ball hawk put his body on the line just did anything to be at the right place right time and he, 90 90 of the time he was at the right place so yeah, just very unfortunate situation. So again, just want to reiterate thoughts and prayers go out to the Gladney family and everybody close to Jeff. So uh, if any updates come out on the situation, just you'll probably see it on the Frogs of War Twitter. Um, but yeah, just just thought we should uh, cover that to uh, start things off before we get into the, the nitty gritty of some baseball and basketball like the Big 12 tournament recap, which Didn't necessarily go the Frogs' way. Uh, Last night, Oklahoma just beat Texas in the Big 12 tournament final. So they took the tournament championship, whereas the Frogs, we got the regular season championship. So who's really winning there? Uh, We are. But regardless, uh, TCU fell in game three. To Oklahoma State, but we're going to go back to Game One, starting with our matchup against Baylor, where the Frogs came out four. it was four to two, right, Anthony? Four to two?
1: That's right. Yeah, 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 four to two was the final score, and um, kind of a, a quick game, uh, a pitcher's duel, where both teams were were pretty slow to to get it moving. Um, the Frogs' offense, in particular, and and really were were slow to get started all week, um, but. Uh, Baylor starting pitcher had the frogs, no hit through several innings and, and really kept them off the board, um, through, through five, uh, and Baylor had gotten on the board. Brett Walker got the start and pitched really well. Um, but gave, gave up a run early in the first inning and it looked like that could have been enough to, to take the day for, for quite a long time as TCU just, just could not get the clutch hit and, and get it going. Um, eventually scoring two in the, in the eight, in the sixth inning to, to tie the game. And then went into the bottom of the eighth and got a couple of runs across and, and then shut down the, uh, shut down the ninth inning for, for the bears and, sent them to the losers bracket and it was really just kind of a to come where um, TCU's talent on, on this particular roster was going to take over at some point and Ross and that's, you know, in tournament baseball, that doesn't always happen. So, so it was good to go ahead and get that one win and and set up the opportunity to try to get another win and stay in the winners bracket and earn. That to you, as you attended that one.
0: Yeah, I think uh, you hit the nail on the head. Also, sorry if my response is a little bit delayed. I think there might be a little bit of Wi-Fi uh, connection right now. But I think you hit it on the nail the nail on the head whenever you said that kind of the, the better team came out in this one. Like, th- this was a game where nothing really major was working for either team, other than on the mound, like you said. I mean, Baylor's pitching played phenomenal for the first half of the game. But, yeah, it, the better team did come out of it. It was slowly but surely the Frogs found their way. Um, it, Yeah, once especially once Walker settled in. And that was the theme though. It seemed like for the rest of the tournament even was just that slow start. I mean, it kind of happened against Texas. Um, and even though, man, why am I blanking on their pitcher's name? Lucas, Lu- who- who Gordon. Was the one that- Gordon, Gordon, Gordon. Okay. Yeah. Go- yeah. Gordon was lights out. I mean, he played awesome. Uh, so for the frogs to get three runs, I mean, it's not terrible. Definitely could have been better if they started scoring before the fourth inning though, you know, so it's just another one of those things. Um, Speaking of Texas, let's go ahead and jump into the Texas game. Uh, Marcelo Perez on the mound in that one. Frogs fell 5-3 to three in a pretty event- eventful game, to say the least, with the star loose ejection and everything. But first, let's just talk about Perez. Uh, gave up a three-run bomb in the first inning, which obviously nobody wants to see that. That's going to be a huge hit to your confidence on the mound. But Perez bounced right back, and he played like the Marcelo Perez that Horn Frog fans know and love. He went for, I think it was six scoreless innings after that, held him to three. Uh, then we went to the bullpen. Texas scored a couple more runs there. But overall, I mean, Prez did exactly what you you asked for him to. Uh, giving up that home run, that's just one bad pitch. So he had one bad pitch, and he probably had 80 good ones. So it's just one of those things. Can't knock it. But overall, good to see Prez still play well after something like that happened. Uh it, mostly going into the tournament and everything you want him in that right mentality, but let's talk about the Sarloose ejection just because why not? You let's know? get That's into fun. it. Yeah, let's get into it. So for those that don't know in the eighth inning head coach, TC baseball head coach, Kirk Sarloose was ejected for the game after a dispute with the umpire at first, they called a bulk. He went up. Actually he didn't even go up to the umpire at this point. He was just yelling from the dugout. There was a bit of a dispute. That was that right. Then uh, Sarluz signals and, to walk. Yeah,
1: and, and before that, just th- the importance of this this bulk call was it brought a run across. Yeah. So, so this was...
0: There was a man on first and third, and they called
1: it, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know if it was a tie game, or maybe Texas was up one at the time, but it was a critical, critical play in the game, late in the game, where obviously every run counts, but at that point, it was... Potentially the game deciding call, you know, we talk about it, it being an ump show and, and point it will.
0: Hello. You there? Yeah, I'm back. All good? Okay, sorry about that. Um, but yeah, no, you're right. It was a crucial, crucial play. It was 3-2, to two, I remember now. Uh, so it was 3-2. to two. It, There was a runner on first, runner on third when they called the box. So literally a free run for the Longhorns. And, of course, after that monstrosity, Sarlis was angry, but the argument was done with. He then hand-signaled to, I think it was Luke Savage on the mound. I could be wrong, but uh, signaled to the pitcher to walk. Uh, Ibanez, who is quite literally one of the best hitters in the conference, so he'd signaled to walk, and then the ump mistook it, mistook the signal for some obscene gesture or something. I don't know what the ump was thinking, took the signal, ran with it, threw him out. You know, how's that?
1: Yeah, and uh, I think sarlo said after the game that he. Sh- Am I gone again?
0: Oh, yep, yeah, you're back.
1: Man, I hear you now. We're we're having issues here. Sorry. So yeah, yeah Conference Player of the Year, home run leader in the conference is one of the best players in the country. Yeah. And and yes, of course, he's going to come out and, and walk him in that situation. That is that's an obvious play. Um, and yeah, for for a kind of defense skin, defensive, he clearly. Um, knowing the spot there that that the umpire was was feeling some kind of way about how the th- that he had made such a critical crucial call, and that even the perception of it being argued was worthy of of ejecting the TCU coach. Um, it's it's just unfortunate that, that it got taken that way. And, and of course at that point, then Sarlous kind of loses it, but, but runs out on, onto the field to make known he was not arguing the call anymore. Yeah. He was simply gesturing.
0: To walk the man. It, it, it
1: was, it was, it was a point with his arm. It was a send that man to first base and let's, let's play ball. Um, and that, that continued arguing then, is what led to, uh, I guess, breaking of the NCAA rules that uh, of, of continuing to be on the field, um, arguing calls with an umpire that um, led to the suspension for for the following game and will uh, Sarlos will not be able to to coach the first game against Louisiana in the uh, NCAA tournament for for that reason. So um, all in all a just take things personally and and take it out on sarlus
0: yeah it's it is also just ridiculous too like you said that he's not going to be able to coach the louisiana game which we'll we'll get to the uh the regional preview in just a second but also i want to correct i accidentally said ibanez i somehow combined it, Ivan Melendez together into one word, but his name is Ivan Melendez, the the big, bad bat. Uh, so yeah, that was just bogus. I think Sarlis had every right to be mad in the post-game press conference. He was pretty nonchalant about it. Like he wasn't, you know, emotional or like super angry still, but he was kind of, he was asked like, did you think that was a bulk call? And he was like, I'm not going to get into that. You know, the ump the up sees one thing. I see one thing and we're just doing our jobs kind of. So which is perfect response. I mean, you can't, there's nothing wrong about it. Nothing right about it. It's just right in the middle said what he said. So, yeah.
1: you know, it, it is funny though, because the night before um, against Baylor, there was a balk call that um, Sarlos kind of went out and argued and ended up calming himself down and getting, getting his way back into the bullpen. Um, and he, he said after that game that, uh, you know, Something like, I've got to stop doing that. It's bad for my blood pressure. It's just kind of funny that the same thing happened the, the next night and and even worse, the um, yeah. outcome. But, you know, I, I guess we could go back and look at the stats on how many balks were called against TCU pitching through the season. Like I, I can't recall many, if any. Yeah. So for there to be two in back-to-back nights in from – you know, relievers fresh out of the bullpen uh, in, in kind of high leverage situations. It's, it's strange. And, you know, it could be, it could speak to maybe, you know, frankly, my understanding of how a bulk does or does not get called is, is not totally clear. I think sometimes it's, that's why it ends up being such an argument between coaches and fans get upset every time it's called or not called um, because it's, it's not a fully black and white. I think it is fully black and white, but it's really hard to tell in the moment uh, what happens.
0: It's very rare for there to be a universal ball. (laughs) Right.
1: Right. So for that to happen like that two nights in a row, I, I hope it's not something of like nerves of those guys, um, or you know, stepping up in a big moment and kind of getting the getting the jitters. Um, I'd like to think that it's not that, and maybe it's just uh, umpires seeing things weird in the the odd shadows coming through the barn roof at, at Globe Life Field. I don't know, but it, in any case, it's it, it ended up being uh a big problem for the frogs
0: yeah i mean obviously i might have a little bit of bias but especially that one against texas i did not see how that was a balk at all like but again you're right it's it it should be black and white but it's not like no fan no fan player coach are always going to agree on a ball call like it's it's just not going to happen especially and i don't think i've ever heard you know if it's my team like tcu gets called for a balk nine times out of ten Even if I think it's a balk, I'm not going to say it's a balk. But then there's that one time where it's just so obvious. It's like, okay, well, you know, but not really, though, anymore, especially with a balk call in baseball. Like, it just, it's not common. You saw it in the regular season, or I guess you didn't see it in the regular season. But I don't know. Oh, well, say La Vie. (laughs) On to Game Three, though uh, Oklahoma State against the Frogs. Uh, this is where TCU was slotted after falling to Texas. Uh, they had a chance to fight back into the championship if they were to beat the Pokes. They would have then played Texas twice in a row for a chance back in the to the title game, but they fell eight to four after just really two big innings from the Cowboys. That I mean, honestly, that was about it. So. Uh, I only got to catch a little bit of this game uh, live because I was out. um, I think I was out on the golf course during this, actually. But yeah, so tough, tough, uh, tough day checking the score. Whenever we're up, I was up. We were up first time I checked, and then it's eight to four next time I checked, and I'm like, oh, all right, sick. Like a a,
1: a lot happened in between there. Yeah, yeah, it was. uh, It seemed like it was going to be a a great day for the frogs. You know, like we're saying the first two games really the TCU pitching top of the inning would give up runs and then bottom of the inning offense totally shut down. Um, it looked like it was going to start that way here in game three, Cornelio uh, Riley Cornelio was, was the starter and allowed base runners had two in scoring position um, with the superpower hitter, Griffin Dorshing from Oklahoma state up to bat. um, And in the first inning had a, had a mound visit. So there, this was already known to be, this was a critical situation. Um, They decided to not intentionally walk Dorshing, uh, filling that open spot at first base and, and pitched to him and ended up, striking him out and with a big swinging strike. And then the following batter struck out as well. So to get out of the inning, and it felt like, okay, this is, this is it. This is the, this is the momentum turn of, okay, we got out of this first inning. That's, that's the danger we're going to see for the day. Um, And it rolled right into the bottom of the inning where TCU scored two runs um, a bunch of base hits and it it felt like they had everything working. TCU got runs in the first, second, and third innings. Um, unfortunately, in the second and third, didn't put up crooked numbers—just a single run in each. So uh, had opportunities, and and just just didn't get them. So, um, didn't get them across. So I think the the huge problem offensively in this game um, that will certainly have to be ironed out headed into uh, into the regionals was the bottom of the order was, was just terrible. Um, And hate to say it because we said last week how much we loved and trusted all of the the players one through nine and how um, all every, every spot on the lineup was going to deliver. And you you had faith that they, they'd come through in the clutch and it just didn't happen against the Cowboys. So, um the 6 through 9 hitters bishop boyers rogers and porter brown um 0 for 15 with 8 strikeouts against the nice. cowboys in nice. an elimination game that ultimately determined who got to be a host um in in the tournament so that's that can't happen obviously uh that's it's not that's you're not going to be able to get it done Um, with that kind of performance. And, and I guess just to note that, um, Porter Brown came on as a, as a pinch hitter, um, Garrison Berkeley hit in the first, in the, in the first go round on the, on the lineup on the batting order, um, did not get a hit, but he did walk and score and stole a base. So he held that spot that nine spot but um uh, you know for for pitching matchup wise was was pulled on the second time around on the order uh in favor of brown but it um not a good day for the bottom of the order and and really not a good day across the board um bobby goodlow and braden taylor both were were really solid taylor had two doubles scored two runs um elijah nunez was solid at the top of the order as always but Um, really not enough. I think the other thing that was, was kind of a critical problem here. Um, I guess Cornelio ran into trouble in, in the third inning in the top of the third and, and something that, you know, we talked last week about there not being a true ACE and that, that Cornelio could be our ACE, but he does give up base runners and does give up home runs. Um, at, at a rate that you, you wouldn't like to see. And so uh, that certainly came through in the third inning as one, one of the most um, explosive home runs that I've ever seen in person, just um, Griffin Dorshing for Oklahoma state hit, hit a home run in the third inning to straightaway center that went over the batter's eye they said in the press box that it went 450 feet with oh you know 109 i think uh exit velocity miles per hour so it it was uh it was like oh
0: yeah so it it was
1: it was absolutely an mlb home run yeah and um Makes you question why why they pitched to him in that first inning <laughs> critical spot, but it, it worked out that time. It did not work out in the third inning, and and so that was uh, one of the big innings in, in the third. And then um, in the fifth, and, and I guess later in the third, uh, Caleb Bolden came on in relief of of Cornelio. Cornelio only went two point one innings um, in the start, but Caleb Bolden came on. He also pitched in the Baylor game. Um, so he had something like 35 pitches a couple days earlier. Um, he, he came on in relief there, ended up allowing more runs to score, allowing the bases to clear, um, a a hit by pitch run, which is really a a tough one. That's, and, and actually, you know, I, Another one I'd like to look at the stats for the season at some point, Oklahoma state got hit a lot in this game and it didn't seem like they were doing a whole lot to get out of the way. Um, You know, I, I don't, I don't know if getting hit by pitches is a skill, but they were certainly able to uh, coax TCU pitching to, to bring it inside and, and get on base uh, with, with the ball getting, Onto them. So even, even one that was not called a hit by pitch, a, a guy trying for a bunt, a sack bunt was really just standing in front of home plate and got, got hit on a, on a missed swing bunt um, and tried to walk to first, like, like he didn't just stand in front of home plate and get hit. <laughs> um, but, but leaving Bolden in through that kind of trouble in the third and, and got through the fourth really clean. Uh, I think one, two, three, but, but brought him back out in the fifth, again, pitched two days earlier had like 40 plus pitches. Um, you know, I, I think there then loaded the bases and the bases were then unloaded and it was eight to four and the game was over. Yeah. Um, and you know, I think it's, there's probably something to be said of holding your bullpen in, in a tournament setting. Um, but I think that was that was a moment where perhaps missing Sarloos, perhaps just the situation in the tournament, but um you probably would have liked to have seen uh something out of the bullpen to to shut down that that rally that that ended up uh deciding the game
0: just speaking like you mentioned the sarloose aspect that's something i always wonder and that this may just be my ignorance of being you know in the sports media world rather than actually being an athlete myself and like not knowing just the details of how it works and everything but i always wonder like how big of an impact that really has like not having your head coach there because obviously like for morale and stuff and for the mental aspects it's big, but. Is Sarlus not just watching the TV, watching the game, making calls to the assistants, you know, from, from out somewhere? Like, can he not still do that? I don't
1: I, I feel like that would be breaching the rules. I don't know. I have no I, idea. Probably, <laughs> but like, it feels like it should be. Like,
0: yeah, yeah, like what are they gonna do? Just like lock him in a closed room with no windows, not allowed to watch the game, you know? I don't even know. you back? All right. Yeah. All right, cool, cool. We're back. All right, yeah. So overall, though, sad ending to the tournament uh, as we dropped the last two games to Texas and Oklahoma State. But, you know, down but not out. Frogs got the two seed. Uh, unfortunately, didn't get the one seed, didn't get to host the regional, which is always a blast at Lupton Stadium. But this, this year will be a little different kind of fun. Uh, rather than hosting, we'll be traveling to College Station, where... The Frogs will play their former head coach, Jim Schlossnagel, and the Texas A&M Aggies. So my main question before we dive into like, you know, the one through four seed, the matchups, yada yada, is how much of this was fabricated? Or like, do we really think that the Frogs were given the two seed based on purely play, skill, talent, or was there a little bit? of an influence from the media and the narrative and having the first year head coach play the long-term former head coach in an epic battle. I don't know. seems a little fishy. Uh, uh,
1: (laughs) You know, I, I love the, uh, the conspiracy and the the narrative. (laughs) I, I think to, I, maybe to answer the first part of it, of was TCU made a two seed in order to make this happen. And should they have otherwise been a one? Uh, You know, I think think it is fair, and, and trying to take my purple glasses off, I think it is fair that TCU fell from what would have been a projected one seed out of that spot. I think the Frogs fully had an opportunity to guarantee, make it so that there was no doubt and they came up short and there, there are two chances there um, where others did not come short, including Oklahoma state and Texas, yeah. um, but others, uh, you know, Florida and North Carolina and, and others as well. So it, it um, I don't, I, I don't know that uh, that, that piece of it is the conspiracy and <laughs> Yeah, I, th- I think it's, it's excellent that this comes out this way. I think it's just, it's too poetic. Um, but, you know, the TCU and ANM have obviously played previously lot, in lot, regionals yeah. and super regionals, and um, those have gone pretty well in the past. And, you know, I think there's there's still some effort in the college world series tournament to put geographical teams together. Mm -hmm. Putting people where they're kind of supposed to be. um, There's, there's still some geography taken into account. So getting on a bus rather than a plane, the, I'm sure the committee considers that. Um and they can't send the frogs to Stillwater or, or Austin. So yeah, going, going to college station, it, it makes sense logistics wise. It is kind of a hard thing to see though of okay, AM got the number five overall seed, their national seed, and and for TCU to, to be the two in their region, I mean, I think that's a that's a long way to fall from a likely host to traveling to the number five overall seed.
0: Yeah, no, you're right about that. No, I agree. That's a good point. Cause my, my take on it is like, like you said, try to take off the purple glasses. It's tough because I would like to say that we would, we barely squeaked in even with kind of falling out of the tournament the way we did. I would like to think we barely squeaked in as maybe the 15th or 16th overall seed, but I also completely understand why not. Because um, you're right. Like like you said, you got to go and take it. And we didn't. Um, but at the end of the day, I'm kind of happy with where we're slotted. Because of course, the logistics make sense geographically and everything. But I had a few buddies text me whenever it was announced. And they were kind of like, yo, this is bogus. Like, why did we not get this? And I was just like, hey, what do you guys mean, man? Like, Eliminating Texas A&M from the postseason is a TCU pastime. It is what it is what we do. That is why our baseball program came to be, was strictly just to get rid of A&M. So I am more than thrilled with the potential to uh, to send them home at their own home. Um, it, it's going to be a good time, uh, but we'll see how it goes. You know, see how it goes. First game is an A&M, though, or not yet. Uh, we'll get to the exciting part after. But the first game is against three-seeded Louisiana, and that is on Friday, June 1st at 8 p.m. And uh, what do you think about that matchup? What are we looking for there?
1: Yeah, absolutely do not overlook the Raging Cajuns. Um, You know, this team has dudes for sure. Uh, Watched a lot of them through their conference tournament as kind of hoping that they would uh, knock Georgia Southern down out of mm-hmm. out of hosting ranks back when way back in time when we thought TCU had a chance to be to be a host um,
0: we, we, we did we did have a chance but it just flailed out unfortunately um,
1: an impressive squad that put it together when they needed to um, you know, to, to end up winning their conference tournament and, and guarantee themselves a spot here. Um, they, they've got a strong hitting lineup, five starters batting over 300. Um, they've got, they've got this guy first baseman outfielder Roccaforte, hitting nearly 380 with 16 home runs. His, his slugging is crazy off the charts. Th- this, this is, uh, you know, this is how it ends up going in these regionals, and even sometimes in the super regionals, you run into some of these teams who can make their way through these, uh, I guess, to say, smaller conference tournaments. That <clears throat> they have guys who are legit ball players, and and we've seen it before, you know, Sam Houston State or Pepperdine, or somebody comes in. And they've got that one or two guys or one or two pitchers that um, can just take over and 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 no matter how deep with with talent the the big team the Am and and TCU you still have to contend with that talent so um, definitely don't overlook these guys they ha- have a very strong program they've hosted in the past they, they've been building, and don't be surprised if they take a game, whether it's the TCU game or or one of their games later, uh, you know, may, maybe they take one off a That would be great. Um, That'd be awesome. <laughs> but I, I think definitely uh, don't overlook them.
0: Yeah, no, I like uh, I like what you said too about how these smaller teams too can always just have that one ace that just eradicates the big teams, big hitters. So like, and I kind of compare that too with March Madness uh, in the sense of you get those 13, 14 seeds that have that one dude that was unrecruited, had one offer out of high school, drops 40 points a game in the tournament, you know? And it's just like these D1 five-star athletes can't do anything to defend them. So, and I think in baseball, It's exactly the same with those just random dominant ace pitchers, these guys like Roccaforte, as you mentioned, like who can just straight up carry if they're on their game. And another weird analogy, kind of it's a little unrelated, but like the NBA playoffs, if you've watched the NBA playoffs this year, it has been so evident that whoever's having a better shooting day, whoever's on a run is going to win that game. And with the smaller teams like this, you know, if Louisiana is just having a good hitting day, their their bats are fine in the ball, they're dangerous. So it's just one of those things. You can't take it lightly, even though we're the higher seeded team. And I don't think the Frogs will. I mean, I think based on the fact that we didn't get to host a regional it might give us a little bit of a chip on our shoulder, which is where. All of TCU athletics thrives is whenever we're the underdogs. So, you know, that's what we like. That That's the role we like to play. And I'm, I'm totally fine with it. I'd much rather come out of it as a two seed, proving, you know, people wrong, proving the committee wrong, rather than, you know, dropping a game to three seed Louisiana. So.
1: Yeah, absolutely. The Frogs, you know, they wear that the, the shirt under their jerseys with the, the chip on the shoulder on the shoulder of their jerseys. <laughs> and, you know, they when they're in uh, up at bat and they have two strike counts, they tap the shoulder. And yeah, it's uh, this seems going to play with fire. And, 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 I, and I think they're, they're going to come out ready to to really uh, take it to this bracket. So looking forward to it and definitely I, I think the frogs want to guarantee that they get that game with with m in game 2 and and yeah. you know assu- again assuming A&M is able to take care of oral roberts which again is has a long history as as a strong program and and I was say, pretty no much yeah, yeah pr- pretty much dominates their conference and and again uh, won the conference tournament so yeah assuming AM gets through that one uh, to get to that game 2 I think there's going to be a lot of focus, uh, on game one to ensure that that happens.
0: Yeah, definitely. <clears throat> it, it'll, it's going to be really exciting. I'm looking forward to, uh, I'm probably going to be traveling down to AM stadium. Uh, that'll be a fun time here and all the, uh, all four, all four. <laughs>
1: and God, the bubbles get your bubbles out yeah
0: i hate it but i love it so much like if it was my team oh i would be just thriving just like screaming it <laughs> but if it's against my team please stop talking just just stop it i hate it but i don't think it'll ever top though the tcu woo birds i love the yeah. woo birds so much
1: let's get the woo birds out there yeah
0: let's get the woo birds going But uh, aside from the Horned Frogs, got a few other teams in the Big 12 or Big 12 teams in the NCAA bracket this year. As uh, Anthony mentioned earlier, Oklahoma State and Texas both got national seeds and are hosting a regional. Oklahoma, after they won the Big 12 tournament, are joining the Frogs as a two seed. And Texas Tech also got a three seed, which is a little bit surprising to me to see them as a three seed rather than a two seed. But, you know, what do I know? Uh, and so even if they win, they're going to be matched up with Tennessee. Ouch. That's tough. Tennessee is so good, dude. They're so good. It's scary. Good.
1: It's, it's, uh, it's crazy. Yeah. The the home runs and the swagger and it's just, they are, they're on another level. I think, Yeah. I think we're happy that, uh, TCU would not need to see them until it's Omaha. So
0: yeah, exactly. Like you talk about sports, you know, teams riding a wave the volunteers are riding a tsunami right now. Like they are just feeling themselves every game. Um, But yeah. And then last but not least as well, uh, West Virginia ended up off the bubble, not even on the last four out, which is honestly pretty tough for the Mountaineers because going into the big 12 tournament, I was pretty confident they would have got in, but they didn't play well in uh, globe life. So
1: yeah in in my big 12 tournament preview, I think my outlook for them was don't tempt the committee um, and there was a lot of chaos in in conference tournaments a lot of bubble spots stolen um, in in these conference tournaments with auto bids going to teams that would have otherwise certainly not been in the tournament. Mm-hmm. Um, and West Virginia went to and out. And you know, they they just didn't, despite b- being, I guess, tied for second in the conference. Is that right? I, you know, they were I, they were two game two games out of winning the. I conference, think they were tied basically. for third. Yes, yeah. you're right though.
0: Two games out, but yeah, tied for third.
1: And and, I mean they they didn't have a superb season. Probably their best. Wins were the series win over TCU, which obviously the the committee didn't think much of uh, the Frogs anyway. So. (laughs) And couldn't get it done.
0: Yeah, it it is tough for the Mountaineers, too. And another, I guess I already mentioned Oklahoma, but Oklahoma is scary.
1: It's I, I think they Oklahoma has a bigger beef of not being a one and a bigger beef with Oklahoma state. Um, yeah, Oklahoma is, is really good. Won a lot of top 25 top level games. They have a solid RPI. Uh, they won the big 12 tournament. Um, I, that's, it's a, it's a tough spot to be that, and, and I, this is another thing, I guess the big 12 tournament ended like a half hour before this announcement of the host sites. I, I don't, I don't know why the host sites need to be announced Sunday night, but if they, if that's what's going to happen, the big 12 should probably start its tournament earlier. Um, because I, I don't, maybe, maybe it didn't factor in, but Oklahoma winning that, tournament and winning a game over a national seed you'd think would have some bearing in potentially hosting so i think it's i think it's unfortunate the way it shook out for them i i think they certainly could and should be deserving of um of a one seed but even going on the road uh, they are in the florida regional and florida kind of got stole their spot. I think probably those teams could and should be switched. Um, Florida, who barely needed extra innings to escape their first round matchup with South Carolina, that would have knocked them out of the sec tournament. um, uh, They ended up going on a run to the. There ended up they went from the seven seed in the sec to the 13 seed overall in, in the tournament. That's um, that's putting a little too much emphasis on the conference tournament uh, for a team that didn't end up winning. It's conference And on absolute fire lately.
0: Yeah, I think you're exactly right that Oklahoma does have a case to make for a one seed. And I forgot to mention this earlier. My really beef, I guess, with TCU not getting the one seed is I was talking to my dad about this because um, he's also a Horn Frog. He went, he went to TCU back in the day, and you know he was like, "There hasn't been a Big Twelve champion to not host a regional in multiple years." So. That is kind of where it's unprecedented. Get, it's never yeah, happened.
1: The never, big twelve okay, regular well, the Big Twelve regular season champion has always been a regional host since it's gone to the 64 team uh setup.
0: Exactly. Yeah, I see I didn't know it was that that like literally every year. Okay. Well, yeah, that's even more frustrating then. But I mean, I guess I get it. You know, I, I do get it. The conference was super close, tournament was super tough. It is what it is. At this point, it's really just, let's play ball, you know, let's just go.
1: And, and I know, I hear what you're saying, but I'm going to have one more thing. So the other thing that a lot of people in our mentions and even, you know, the national commentators talk about is the RPI. Well, your RPI, RPI, RPI. Well, yes. Um, but what is RPI? RPI is... Your winning percentage, and they're they're weighted, so it's like twenty five percent your winning percentage, fifty um, percent your opponent's winning percentage, and then twenty five percent your opponent's opponent's winning percentage. So, what you want is to Wi Fi again, but that's that is a Mm, questionable measure of whether you actually performed well during the season. There's no, doesn't take into account run scored or margin of victory or, uh, you know, anything like that. So if you, if you are playing teams in good conferences who end up having bad seasons in those good conferences you're in you're in a bad spot or if you're playing teams who am i back it's it's all that it's all the yeah it's all that college baseball has so you know all of the team sheet metrics all of pretty much anything anybody talks about with baseball is your RPI. And I I think somebody stats of war needs to, to develop something new. So somebody needs to, uh, to come up with something, you know, the net in college basketball has gotten a little bit of criticism, but it's, I I think it much more closely resembles uh, basketball. And I think, college baseball needs something that more closely resembles determining who is a good baseball team and who has had a good season. Our RPI, I don't think really does it. Um, You know, something like Texas tech being in the top 10 of all rankings all season. um, But having like a 40 RPI and
0: We're back. Yeah. All right. We're back. Yeah. Sorry. Uh. Oh. Okay. All right. I think Anthony is refreshing the page. Sorry. For a little bit of technical difficulties here. Like like I said at the beginning of the episode, still trying to iron some stuff out. Having a little bit of connection issues. So sorry if um if Anthony had if anything has been cut out during the episode. But hopefully we can iron it out. May, might have to edit a, a couple slip here and there. But all right. I think we should be back now. I think we should be good. I tried tried the the refresh.
1: I tried the refresh. Let's, let's see how it goes.
0: Yeah. The refresh
1: hopefully will work,
0: but yeah, overall, that's really mostly what we got for uh, the, the tournament baseball tournament. We'll definitely be covering the baseball team as they go every week and definitely posting articles covering the game. So stay on the lookout for the baseball coverage there, but Moving on now to some basketball news. Not exactly or not always you hear big basketball news on May 30th in the offseason. But, hey, that's what we're here for today. So in case you haven't heard, Anthony had an article up uh, earlier that Damian Baugh announced he is returning to TCU in a pretty iconic fashion, honestly, with a, a Cam Newton I'm back gif on Twitter so love to see that. Huge that he's coming back and not staying in the draft. He played a huge role for the Frogs last season, and I expect nothing less from him. He's going to be a big part of the offense and defense come next season. So Frog fans already know what to expect with Damian Ball. But now they've got a new guard coming in town, Anthony. Are you excited?
1: Man, I'm I'm so pumped for TCU basketball. How I'm is it so how is it still May? I, I I'm like I'm ready for March um, is <laughs> this, uh, you know, it's, it's hard to like, I know we're getting overhyped in our heads about this already, but yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm already really excited for TCU basketball. Yeah. It's going to be a great season. Um, and, and yeah, just to, to go back on ball. I mean, we already have seen, uh, you know, Miles is back. Obanin is back. Lampkin is back. Uh, Iman Miller is back. Uh, we've, and, and we're, we're bringing in all these new players and, and for Damian Ball to, to return. And now the complete starting five returning, um, it's, it's a, there's no way not to be hyped about this team. I mean, there's, there's national media people putting them in the top 10, uh, which is, Probably a bit much. We can yeah. calm down with that. I, t- top ten is okay. I'd but rather have still
0: a little chip on. The I, I, I think. You
1: know? I, I think that's that. We've got a. We've got a bit too far. We, we'll get there. But um, in any case, it's it's super exciting. And yeah, Ball is the kind of player that brings the intensity and you know his his court vision, his ability to find assists, to find people. There, he he had some passes this season where. Uh, I I don't know how he made it happen and and he'd get the ball through or, or find a spot um, that, you know, he, he averaged four and a half assists per game um, and which was like seventh in, in the big 12. And he's not the point guard. He's not the ball handler. He's, he's not the guy, he's not the creator of the offense. He's, but he facilitates and makes things happen. And so, to get him back will be, will be a huge boost. Um, but yeah, moving on to, to the, the new guy that, that we got also this week. So just, just a fantastic week for TCU basketball. So, um, Rondell Walker, who was playing at Oklahoma state for the last two seasons, um, is joining the Horned Frogs. He's transferring in, in conference, um, it's it's a big time ad. He was a four star coming out of high school. He uh, he played on that great AAU team with Mike Miles and Coles and um, and Cade Cunningham, the number one overall draft pick, who's been in the just, NBA I was just now. About so. To say wait, was
0: that the same team as Mike and Cade? Like, okay, exactly. Yeah. So
1: so he you know he he was part of that team and was a somewhat of a contributor for for Oklahoma State not really filling up the stat sheet on offense. Um, His game, his game is not really the, you know, the, the score he's, he is a defensive menace. He's, you know, his, his ratings and rankings and all the defensive metrics are, are in the top uh, percentage of the big 12, uh, which makes you one of the best in the country. So uh, it, it absolutely huge add to the TCU defense um, and, and to the TCU basketball team. Uh, you know, I, th- I think he'll continue to develop his uh, his offensive game. And and I think one of the things that maybe he wasn't really asked to do, uh, and, and this is similar, actually, to, to Damian Ball, where in his two years prior to uh, coming to TCU at Memphis, he was not really used as an offensive player. he was a defensive shutdown guy um, kind of coming off the bench, right? So very similar to that uh, where maybe Walker comes in and and, and is more surprising and, and shows a lot more under a Jamie Dixon, coach team and, and the way that, that Dixon will deploy him with, with Miles. And, and, you know, he, he was, uh, Walker, his offensive game, he scored a lot better when Kay Cunningham was around. So, uh, which, which makes sense. So, you know, maybe maybe when he's he's with his buddy, Mike miles, it'll be the same kind of thing. So I I think, um, you know, I, I think a lot of the Oklahoma state fans were a little bit like, ah, whatever. Um, I, I, am on the other side of this. I think this is, this is really big for, for TCU to bring in that level of a talent. Um, you know, even if he comes in and just has the specific skill of being a defensive shutdown guy to add that to the, the Micah Peavy defensive shutdown guy, oh, yeah. um, you know,
0: even, I mean, even Damian Ball is shut
1: down and and, and and Damian yeah. Ball. Yeah. So I think, and then if he even adds, uh, a, uh, a, a shooting element, you know, coming out of high school, a lot of the recruiting services talked about his ability to, to make three pointers and to work his way to open shots and maybe a a slashing kind of guy. So, you know, if he gets, if he gets that built back up with miles and and on this squad that is, that is so deep, I I think um, could be a big impact this season.
0: Yeah. And I, I think my biggest takeaway from this ad is one word, Depth, because TCU basketball has for the past couple seasons infamously run with seven or eight players, and those are their guys. You know, it's really just that. So I think this is the perfect piece to the puzzle in terms of depth. It gives us a great. I, I don't. I don't necessarily see Walker fitting into the starting lineup. Um, I could be wrong. We'll see how that shakes out. Because I also think you're right in the sense that he could blossom under Dixon because. I remember writing an article when Damian Ball first transferred and I kind of like analyzed his game in Memphis, his stats and all that. I I never thought he was going to be the offensive threat that he was at TCU. Like, cause the first week, first two weeks of the season, I was like, man, like this guy is really good at defense. Like this guy is athletic as hell. But then once he got a little bit more comfortable, started fitting his role in the offense, he was getting buckets and, Not like role player buckets where you just catch and shoot the open shot. He took it to the hole. He created his own shots. And I totally agree that I think Rondell Walker could be exactly that type of player, uh, you know, if he gets more opportunity to do so under Dixon. And I think he will, Uh, you know, like he had 12 double doubles last year. Like you said, three point shooting. He was 33% from deep, which isn't like off the charts numbers. But if we're talking about a three and D player and you can make One out of every three, I'm more than happy with that. You know, one of one, like one third three pointers, I'll take that all day. And just statistically on defense, he had 35 steals last year, averaging 1.5 per game in the Big 12, which was one of the best in the conference. So he is going to be huge on defense for the Frogs. I really do wonder, though, how exactly he will fit into the rotation. And I know Dixon also, he does like to use the beginning of the season to kind of iron things out, try some different things. So um, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see him maybe start a game or two just to see what happens. But I wonder where he fits in with Baugh and he fits in with PV because, you know, those are both big defensive guys. Uh, I think Walker's, what, 6'4"? He's not, like, majorly huge, but he's a Yeah, 6'4", 6'5".
1: I think, yeah, depending on if you look at, like, the Oklahoma State website it says 6'5" one of the recruiting services said six, three. So yeah, different places say different things. Okay. But yeah, yeah, between six, three and six, five, I think is fair.
0: Somewhere in there. Yeah. Some of those recruiting sites, but he's not, he's
1: not six, nine, right? Like he's not, he's not playing, uh, you know, post up forward. He's not, he's not guarding your, your, your big forwards. um, And, and some of the, the star scoring forwards that you may see, you're probably not seeing him in that role. Um, which I mean, he probably could take them on and 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 uh, you know face them up, but that that's not really probably how he's going to be deployed. I wouldn't think.
0: Yeah, kind of what I'm expecting is like I don't I don't see him who's going to be the kind of guy to like come in and make like the game winning plays like by hitting the last second fadeaway or you know driving into the whole like iso isolation play. I don't really see that, but I see him making the winning plays in the sense of the plays that people don't talk about. Like, you know, the plays in the second quarter where he dove out of bounds for that loose ball, or like he, he got up for the jump ball, forced the jump ball, got us possession type thing. So I think he's going to be a big hustle player as well. Uh, although very different, you can't really compare them. Uh, I hope some Kenny hustle vibes comes in, you know, there you with, go. Yeah. With this defense. So I'm very, very excited to see it. Uh, so with this being said, with Bob back, with Walker here now, you know, Mike's back, Chuck's back, it's I'm, I'm just a giddy for it. But who do you think is – this is way too early to be talking about this, but why not, you know? So who is your way too early preferred starting five if you were Coach Dixon for the day?
1: Yeah, my, my five would be Miles, Ball, Emmanuel Miller, Eddie Lampkin, and Chuck O'Bannon. So – you know, I I think, I think these are relatively straightforward. Um, I there's, there's certainly cases for what do you do with Chuck O'Bannon spot? Um, and, and really maybe Iman Miller as well. Um, but, but to me, Chuck has an all around game that, that gets you kind of off the mat right away. Um, you know, he's, he may not be the ace defender, and he may not be the top scoring, you know, uh, playmaking scorer. But he's a solid defender, and he's a, a really solid shooter. And he's not going to get you in bad foul trouble early, and he's not going to, uh, you know, throw a bunch of turnovers. Really, really intelligent, mature player that. Uh, is probably someone you want on the court to start the game, in my opinion. If I were Dixon,
0: yeah, I I don't disagree. I I did go in a slightly different direction, and I mean you kind of alluded to that fact that Chuck's spot you can is open for debate. And I went with Mike at the one, Ba at the two. I went Mike a at the three over Chuck, and then rounding it out, Eman at the four and Lampkin at the five. Uh, and obviously Chuck would be the sixth man in this scenario, but that's my thing is I don't really know what like what the right thing to do with Chuck is is to start him or bring him off the bench because like you're right he's solid defensively but not like off the charts defensively shooting great shooter for me I think it's almost with like the PV versus Chuck in that spot I think you have Mike Damian and Eman who are just straight up offensive threats, especially Mike and E-Man. And, you know, if we take out E-Man, like, you you know, you kind of said the E-Man spot might be up for debate. I don't know. Like, who else are we going to stick at the four hole, you know, unless it would just be Micah Peavy and maybe play slightly small ball. Like, he is 6'7", so it's not terribly small. But for a power forward, there's definitely going to be somebody bigger on the opposing side. So I don't know, because for me, Peavy is just defensively, like, at the start of the game – you can put him on their top guy, no matter who it is, you can put him guarding the top guy and you're going to get results. So, and then if Chuck takes that spot, then I think you got to put ball on the top guy every time. So I don't know. I think they're interchangeable. It, it's kind of hard to make an exact pick, but I think in terms of who like has to be a starter, Mike Damian, ball and Eddie Lampkin have have to be starters have to.
1: Yeah. and And I think one thing you said there that, kind of made me think about one of the strengths that it could mean if Chuck were the sixth man and kind of played with in a rotation with uh, maybe some younger guys or maybe that that second wave of, of players coming off the bench that he kind of raises their level um, in a way that maybe PV doesn't raise that level, but he does raise the starter level just because of the the shutdown on defense. So I can definitely see that where you want someone in that uh, coming off the bench that kind of bridges that gap between the starters and, and the next round of guys that um, can kind of hold the boat float in that time.
0: Yeah, you're exactly right. And I think, Especially in terms of just experience, cool, calm, and collected. Like Chuck is the guy. You know, if we were to take out the first team, put in the second team, and like have Chuck be the leader, Chuck be the main guy, I would be more than comfortable with that. You know, I think he could definitely hold his own as the number one on the floor if necessary. Um, But I mean, of course, TC doesn't run with a direct first string, a direct second string. They're more of just a pure rotation kind of system. So it it will be interesting to see how it plays out because, you know, now you have PJ Haggerty coming PJ. I'm excited for PJ Haggerty. I I don't know exactly where he's going to fit in either, but I am very curious to see because I think he could play a very vital role for the frogs next year already, just as a freshman. And now, you know, with Rondell Walker. So it's going to be, that's already eight guys, like eight solid, solid guys that I am just super comfortable handling the ball, shooting the ball. Well, okay, take that back. I don't want Eddie Lampkin handling the ball, but <laughs> you know, you know what I get. Like I'm comfortable with them playing their role in the system.
1: I yeah, and, and we're a long way off from it, but I, yes. you know, I think where we the frogs will run into trouble is what do you have behind Lampkin? Um, you know, when when those games where he runs into um, you know foul trouble or. You know, just needs a breather. I think we saw it in the tournament where he was he was just playing all the minutes, and he was playing great. But it, it's nice to be able to give the big man a rest for a minute. And and there there are guys on the roster, but are any of them going to be able to maintain that level of Eddie Lampkin? I, you know, I think uh, Cork and Coles are. I think significantly shorter and, and smaller guys than than Lampkin. I think they can they can play big and play as opponents kind of drop small. Maybe maybe they fill in. But yeah, I think that's that's the spot where um, if the frogs have have kind of a one weakness, it's the the games where where Eddie gets in in foul trouble. Where do you turn?
0: Yeah, I think uh, in terms of like the big band talk, I think Xavier Cork is only maybe two inches. I'm trying to pull it up right now just so I can double check. Yeah, so, well, according to GoFrogs, you don't want to – you never know how the heights are listed, but according to GoFrogs, Cork is 6'9", and that that was kind of one thing I was going to say too about like the Emmanuel Miller uh, situation with him in the starting lineup. Like if he wasn't to be in the starting lineup, I think really the only other thing you can do is put Xavier Cork there. and not knocking him at all. I think Xavier Cork is a very vital role and plays great minutes for the frogs. I just don't think he's a starter. So I think you have to like, you have to have another body to kind of pair with Lampkin. Cause we, although he does a hell of a job, we can't ask Lampkin to just get like 20 rebounds a game. You know, he's got to have another body out there to help him block out those big guys. So I don't know though. Yeah, it's tough. It'll be very interesting to see how it shakes out. I, uh, oh man, I just, I had a reference. I just totally blanked on what I was about to say. Oh well, say lobby. La vie. <laughs> it is what it is. All right. Got anything else on, uh, way too early basketball talk?
1: It's, it, it get on the bandwagon now because we're, just, the train's not slowing down.
0: Oh, it just came back to me, light bulb in my head. I was going to say, so you you mentioned earlier how some people have us in the top ten, and you know if, if people have read any of our articles, they probably know that I, I am a little bit of a sports better. I am into the gambling aspect of sports, and uh, a few of the big guys I follow, like so-called experts, you know, uh, they actually picked TCU as their 2023 national champion at plus seven thousand odds, and I'm like, all right, guys, don't do this to me. Like, don't don't, don't give me this false hope. You know, like so- I. Have no expectations for a national championship, but God damn, that'd be sweet.
1: So that's, that's funny. You say that because I was actually looking at the college world series and, and we, we should have probably put this on the rundown. This would have been a fun thing to go through, but college world series odds and TCU there is like plus 7,500. So you'd be better off TCU already in the tournament already. You already know what the path is, even if you know obviously that the the path to to omaha and to win in omaha is very difficult uh TCU is a greater favorite to win the basketball national championship than the baseball college world series that they are already in, in and a two seed so that's that's pretty wild
0: that is absurd actually hey not Not financial advice, but that's a lot of value right there. I don't know. Frogs plus 7,500. It's a lot of value for a team that's been there, done that. Well, not been there, done that in terms of winning it. But you know what I mean, experience-wise. But, yeah, that's also something, too. You know, if you guys are – I know gambling is still somewhat frowned upon in society, but it's getting legalized. It's out there in the media. So if that's something you guys would be interested in, I'm sure Anthony and I – would be more than happy to dive into some spreads, some money line picks, anything like that. Um, so, yeah, let us know if that's something y'all would be interested in in the comments. But I think that is going to be it for this week's episode. Uh, be sure, like I said, leave a comment. Let us know what you guys are feeling. Let us know what you want to see from us. If uh, I'm thinking next week, too, uh, I was going to mention maybe it would be fun to do like a Twitter poll, like ask us questions type thing, and we'll just talk about them for a little yeah, bit. Definitely. So, yeah. We'll see what happens. Uh, So we'll be back next week, of course, as normal, covering the baseball team through their journey in the regionals. So, yeah, go Frogs. That's all I really got to say. Let's play ball.
1: That's it. Have a great week, folks. Go Frogs.
0: Go Frogs. All right, see you guys next week.